0: You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Good afternoon, we are here today with Janie Sacco from the Small Business Administration in Seattle. Um, Today, we're gonna talk about PPP forgiveness. And if you wanna go ahead and come in and we'll get a bunch of people settled in. Um, If you have questions, please feel free to put them in the Q&A under the Q&A button and we can, uh, so we can save the questions for later and we can answer them online. So, all right. And it seems like we are, the entrants are starting to slow down. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Janie, welcome (laughs) welcome to the Hospitality Association. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for having having me and, and the SBA uh, come in and do this presentation for your group. I'm sure you'll probably get uh, more people viewing this uh, after the event when they have a little bit more time to. So uh, we're going to talk today about uh, the updates to the PPP program and just go over a few of the, the programs that we have and do a status update of, of those just so everybody's informed and then we're going to dig into the forgiveness process and um i'll give you some news here t- today about a few changes that are upcoming so your group is getting the first uh, presentation with that particular information so there you go so as soon as i see my slide deck um up uh we'll get started perfect thank you and Uh, because I don't really like looking at myself, I'm going to stop my video and and, uh, just save my bandwidth for this presentation. So we're going to get started with um, a little overview of the different loan programs and what's happening with them. So next slide, please. Just to recap what we have had occur here with the COVID-19 related SBA programs. uh, You can see a number of them here on the screen. The first product that rolled out actually was the Economic Injury Disaster Loan and uh, the uh, Idle Advance that occurred early in 2020. And then uh, that was followed by the Paycheck Protection Program and debt relief, and then we rolled out um, the shuttered venue operators grant and the restaurant revitalization fund. So what these programs have all done is tried to really impact and benefit the business community that is eligible under each one of these programs to really provide relief from the impact of the reduced revenue as a result of COVID-19. So the Economic Injury Disaster Loan is still available. It's an outstanding working capital loan product, but it is a loan and it is repayable. If you have not applied for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, uh, you may do so this year still, um, if the program runs through the end of this year or until the funds are fully exhausted. ability if you apply for the idle you then have the ability to also potentially qualify for the targeted idle advance and supplemental idle advance and the targeted idle advance is up to $10,000 that is a non-repayable product so it's more like a grant the supplemental targeted idle advance is an additional $5,000 and that product um, is applied with in conjunction the targeted idle advance. So, again, if you did not apply for an economic injury disaster loan last year, you have an opportunity to do that this year and receive up to $15,000 potentially in grant funds, um, whether you accept the uh, idle loan or not or whether you're denied the um, Foreign Economic Injury Disaster Loan. So it's a really good product. And uh, the big thing with the targeted idle advance and the supplemental is that you need to be in a low-income area. It's as designated by the mapping tool on the SBA website. And uh, you do need to demonstrate at least a 30% revenue reduction from 2020 uh, versus 2019 for an eight consecutive week period from March 2nd on. Um, And for the supplemental funds, again, all of the same issues, but you need to have demonstrated a 50% revenue reduction. Um, The targeted idle advance requires that you have 300 or fewer employees the supplemental targeted Idle Advance requires that you have less than 10 employees uh, and you do need to fill out the, an application for them. That does have some additional qualifying information. So but it's a great product. And I do like to spend a little bit of time talking about that one because that is open to most businesses um, globally. Then we did the Paycheck Protection Program. We did funding last year. We did funding this year. Um, As part of the Economic Aid Act uh, and uh, the CARES Act from last year, we have what we call the debt relief on SBA 7A, 504, and microloans. That's where payments were actually made on fully dispersed performing loans that had an SBA guarantee, or they were part of the SBA 504 program. So those payments extended six months last year, and then uh, two to three months this year, maybe a little bit longer, depending on where your business was actually located. And then we rolled out the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant and the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. Um, The Restaurant Revitalization Fund ceased taking applications on May 24th. The Shuttered Venue Operator Grant is still accepting applications. So please check out um, those programs on our website. Next slide, please. So let's start on the PPP program. What uh, I really want you to see is the program expired technically on May 31st 2021, although applications stopped being accepted by all um, all lenders on May 28th. Um, all of the applications that made it in the queue by May 28, 2021, are still in the process of being acted on by the SBA, so uh, there's still an opportunity to have one of those applications approved by the SBA, so long as the application was submitted by your lender by May 28th. We're trying to get through all of the applications that are pending by the end of this month. In the state of Washington this year, we had almost $6 billion in PPP first and second draw funds go to businesses in our state. That was represented by slightly over 91,000 loans, and we were the 12th most nationwide and uh, by state in terms of dollars issued under the first and second draw program for this year, you can see the national numbers um, at almost $278 billion. And there was almost $7 million worth of loans extended. So it was a very strong showing and uh, production for this year to help the small business community. The most interesting thing for this year is that uh, when you're looking at the actual dollar amounts of the loans, most of the loans, 95.4%, $150,000 $150,000 and less. And that's really important for the forgiveness side, because all of those loans, 95.4% of the loans issued um, this year are eligible now to use the 3508 S form. So the average loan size uh, for this year was $42,000. So it's really important for us to see that Many, many small businesses that were looking at needing loans of of $50,000 or less were truly served this year um, with the products and the way this program was rolled out throughout 2021. Next slide, please. So we're going to go over what you can do to get ready a few key elements. of the PPP loan forgiveness process. We're definitely gonna go into a deeper dive on each one of the forgiveness forms. We're gonna start with the 3508S, then ramp up to the 3508EZ and finish with the 3508 form. The, um, the $150,000 or less loans all can use that 3508S form. Uh, there is a little bit of work that may need to be done by some of you Um, who have loans that are more than $50,000, you may have to use that 3508 form as a worksheet. But we'll cover all of that as I go through this. We'll cover some tax provisions, the safe harbors, um, what happens if you sold or closed your business during this process, how to work with the lenders, and where to seek assistance if you need one-on-one advising or counseling in terms of assistance on getting these things completed. Next slide please. So I do want to just say that everything in this presentation is relevant as of today. Um, these these programs do change and and modify over time, there will be a change that is coming up that I will discuss here shortly, um, which I uh, have not written into this because until it's approved and authorized. Uh, We're not able to put it in writing, but I will let you know what's happening with a few things verbally, Uh, please be sure to consult your CPA your attorney or your um, bookkeeper accountant. It's very important for you to work with your your legal and and tax advisors on the impacts of all of the federal and state programs across the board that you participated in to make sure that you're accounting for them correctly and um, you're in compliance with their rules for use of the funds. So what we're really trying to do here is to make sure you have access to information, understand the process and have resources that you can go to um, as needed in the Community next slide please. What can you do to get ready, the first thing you're really need to do is get your 2019 uh, tax return and compare it to the information that you sent in at the time of application, if there are differences. In the way you utilize that information from your 2019 tax return to your application for these loans, whether it was last year or this year, it really could impact your forgiveness amount. And uh, we want to try and make sure that you really get as many of these loans uh, fully forgiven as possible. So we really want you to get your... um, Your 2020 profit and loss statements together have all of that information in terms of your utilization of these PPP loan proceeds and the other loan programs that you participated to be able to document their use and in terms of compliance. So that's a good rule of thumb across the board for any of the programs that you're utilizing, whether it's a federal program or state program or a local one. So the documentation you specifically need for the PPP is that you're going to need your your business bank account statements for January and February of 2020, Um, and you're also going to need them for each month that you spent your PPP proceeds. If you have a third-party payroll provider, you will need all of their records related to the disbursement of your payroll uh, for your covered period. You will need to have your W-2 forms as well as your W-3 form. If applicable, some um, some taxpayers do not provide you with that W-3, but you definitely have your W-2s. Any tax forms such as your 941s, um, copies of any funds transfers, that you made uh, to use payments for the proceeds of the loan on those expenses in the form of ACH or checks, canceled checks front and back. Um, Your state wage reporting documents for unemployment and for labor and industries. And then for uh, the health insurance retirement plans and your state and local taxes, you'll need to evidence all of your documentation For the employer paid portions of these expenses as it relates to the PPP loan eligibility. All right. So payment receipts, canceled checks, account statements, invoices, um, all all of the things that you use to evidence how you had to pay your your, um, uh, PPP funds. All right. Next slide, please. So the interesting thing for this year was there were new uses for the PPP proceeds that were rolled out. And if you have um, a monthly fee to a company that helps you manage your daily operations or... Um, your product product or service delivery systems or your inventory management, um, accounting systems, human resource systems, all of that. If you pay a monthly fee for any and all of those services, all of those monthly fees are allowed. However, they had to be in place on or before February 15th, 2020, like many of the expenses that we're going to cover here. The other thing that was new this year was for property damage that you had to have out-of-pocket payments for caused by civil unrest, and again, uh, you're going to have invoices there for the work done. You please don't include any insurance reimbursements. Um, it's only your out-of-pocket costs that you had to use for that. And uh, regarding payroll costs for group insurance, it now includes life insurance and disability, as well as health, vision, and dental insurance. So those are all the group policies. And then um, the other thing is, if you had these expenses last year and you had a PPP loan last year, you can also use all of these expenses as part of your eligible expenses during your covered period for 2020, all right? So covers this year and last year. So that's uh, a very good thing. The other thing I do want to point out, and you'll see this when we talk about the form, uh, if you have two separate PPP loans, you do have to apply for them separately because they have different qualification requirements and they have different loan numbers. And you'll see that visually when we go through our application documents. Relatively speaking, the idle advance from 2020 is no longer relevant as part of the PPP loan forgiveness process, and, um, you know, you you can disregard having to worry about that particular thing (laughs) for your 2020 and 2021 uh, forgiveness process. Next slide, please. In regard to the tax provisions at the federal level, any debt that is forgiven related to the PPP loan is not taxable. The expenses that you paid with the PPP proceeds are allowed to be included as part of your tax deductible expenses. This is a clarification from what was happening last year. So again, Um, Everything that you spend the money on uh, from your PPP proceeds is an allowed taxable deduction. All right. Uh, There there are certain um, gross business income items that are not excluded. So you do need to make sure, again, um, if you received funds at the state and local level, you may be responsible for reporting that income as taxable under certain federal laws. This is why we want you to <clears throat> excuse me, work with your CPA to make sure you're in compliance. The other thing is if you use that employer retention tax credit and you had a PPP loan, you have to make sure you're in compliance with the IRS um, guidance on the employee retention tax credit program. So just be aware that um, not all uh, programs are equal in terms of um, interchangeability and compliance. So you really have to pay attention on the ones that are outside of the PPP program. Next slide, please. So what are the steps for applying for loan forgiveness? Well, first thing is that um, for right now, Your lender is processing your application and what I do want to say and this is new is that the SBA this year has been working on. uh, Providing a methodology for you as the borrower to apply directly with the SBA for forgiveness on the smaller dollar transactions so. uh, about by July 15th, we will have more information to share with the small business community on those smaller dollar loans um, as to bypassing going back to your lender and just submitting the application to the SBA through a portal. So if you have not signed up for updates from the SBA already, please go to www.sba.gov updates, and you will be able to sign up for all of the updated information that's going on with the SBA programs, including this information about the forgiveness portal. So again, stay tuned for that, but we're looking for information to be finalized by the middle of next month. All right. So for right now, again, if you want to process your application for forgiveness, you do that through your lender across the board on all loan amounts. You do need to compile the documentation that I mentioned earlier. You submit the forgiveness form and the documentation, if required, to your lender. Um, that, That can be done either with some lenders manually. It may be totally electronic with others. So I would encourage you to talk to your lender, go to their websites, take a look at how they're processing their applications for forgiveness. Please continue to communicate with your lender throughout this process because they are the ones still uh, um, on all loans right now. And after about the middle of July, they will continue to process the larger dollar loans. Um, You'll need to make sure that you understand exactly what they want you to to provide so that you can achieve full forgiveness on your loan please remember that all loan forgiveness forms um, may be submitted up to a maximum of 10 months after the end of your covered period And um, if you do that, then you don't have to make payments on your loan until the forgiveness amount is determined. All right. So, again, please um, submit your forgiveness applications to um, either your lender or to the SBA, as the case may be, after the middle of next month, um, within 10 months after the end of the borrower's covered period. All right. What will happen is all the applications uh, can be submitted when you have used all of your PPP loan funds. You can document the use of the loan proceeds. And again, the lender is ready to accept the applications. Many lenders this year deferred accepting applications for forgiveness because they were working on um, generating new loans. So now that that process has closed, you'll see more of them looking to the forgiveness process and helping you with that. Next slide, please. So the question always becomes, which form do I use? Well, uniformly, if your loan is $150,000 or less, you will use Form 3508S. If your loan amount is more than $150,000, then you have two optional forms to use, and you need to make a determination of which one you need to use. So, we're going to walk through the 3508 EZ form. It is only two pages of um, application documents to submit, and it's relatively simple, but you do need to meet At least one of the two eligibility statement criteria in order to use that form. All right, we're going to be covering that shortly here. If your loan amount is more than $150,000 and you determine that you cannot use the 3508 easy form, then you have to use the long form. And it's actually not that long, but it does, it is a little bit more labor intensive and does take a little bit more time. What I do want to point out here is that if your loan amount is over $50,000 and up to $150,000, you may need to use the 3508 form as a worksheet. You don't need to submit it to your, your lender, but you may need to use it as a worksheet to help you make sure you are self-certifying the correct forgiveness amount. All right, next slide, please. So payroll costs are all cash contributions, including salaries, wages, commissions, cash tips, vacation pay, hazard pay, bonuses, and parental, family, medical leave, sick leave, severance pay, whole bunch of stuff. And then you have The employer payroll costs for the group life insurance, disability, health, vision, and dental, as I said earlier, as well as the employer paid retirement plan contributions, and then the employer paid state and local taxes. So what's not there is you cannot include federal taxes that are paid to the IRS. Those are not eligible uses of payroll costs. Um, As I indicated earlier, if you submit your loan forgiveness application within 10 months after the last day of your covered period, your payments are deferred until a determination is made on the amount of forgiveness. However, if you do not send your forgiveness application in within that 10-month period after the end of your covered period, Then your PPP loan will automatically convert to a term loan and you will be required to start making the monthly payments to your lender based on the payment plan established in the note. All right. So uh, payments on any remaining unforgiven loan proceeds um, are then converted over to a term loan within the remaining term of your note. All right. And your lender will work with you to establish the monthly payment. And if it seems like it's a little bit too high, then you can work with your lender to actually negotiate um, a more reasonable payment. And the thing is what we're trying really hard to do is to keep these loans within a five-year maturity from origination of the note to the maturity date. However, um, there, There is an ability for the lenders to go up to a 10-year period of time from the origination of the loan uh, to the maturity end, if need be. So, again, please work with your lender. The costs that are not eligible are salaries that were, are in excess of the $100,000 in cash compensation. Um, if your employees reside outside the United States or if um, you, your employees received Sick or family leave time under the Family First Act um, that was paid not by you, that is not includable. And then independent contractors are not eligible as part of um, the compensatable um, payroll. All right, they are independent contractors, they could have applied for a PPP loan on their own. Next slide, please. So what I do want to say here is that with each application document, there's a whole series of representations and certifications. There's um, audits and appeal rights. Uh, Those are uh, established, and um, hopefully you won't have to go through the audit or the appeal process, but you do need to represent and certify all the statements that are on these application forms, and we're going to go through them as we go through each one of the, the forms. All right. So uh, what we have found anecdotally is that Schedule C filers who have loans uh, above $150,000 may have a higher chance for an audit, but um, the audits are random. And the only ones that are mandatory that are actually audited by the SBA are loans where in aggregate, um, there's at least $2 million or more. Uh, in PPP proceeds that was lent to a borrower or a borrower and its affiliates. Next slide, please. So the lenders, when they're doing a review, they only have four decision options. Either they're approving it in full, they're approving it in part, they're denying it, or they're denying it without prejudice. Um, If they do the denials, then that transaction actually does not go to the SBA. The lender is denying it on their own, and um, they are not sending that application to the SBA. If the loan is recommended for approval in part or in full, that does go to the SBA. The SBA then does its review and makes a decision on the recommendation by the lender. And then the funds are, um, if, if the, sba concurs with the approved or recommended amount for um, for forgiveness then the sba issues that amount to the lender along with um, all of the accrued interest okay so what i do want to say here is that if your loan is denied or denied without prejudice then all of the interest that has been accruing since the origination of the loan Um, That is all part of what is repayable by you as the borrower, but that, again, is only on a denial or a denial without prejudice. Um, And then if your loan is approved in part, um, again, only the portion that was not forgiven and its related accrued interest is payable by you. All right, next slide, please. Janie, we do have a question. Okay. Would you like to do that now or would you like sure. to do it a little later? No, yep, let's do it. What okay. Do we, what do we have?
0: To clarify, one, the new types of forgivable expenses that were announced in January 2021 are forgivable on any PPP1 loans received in 2020? And number yes. two, yes?
1: That's correct. Okay. They're and retroactive we- to the, the um, if you have not applied for forgiveness yet, for a loan in 2020, then those expenses that were allowed this year are retroactive and, and can be part of your forgiveness application for a 2020 PPP loan. Okay,
0: and on PPP-2 loans, do expenses need to be within covered the covered period only, meaning that the start of PPP-2 funding date, or can expenses be prior to funding date, but after February 2020 to be included and forgiven?
1: They have to be um, incurred and paid, uh, incurred or paid during your covered period. All right. So if you had past due compensation um, or compensation owed to your employees prior to the start of your covered period, that would not be eligible. Um, It has to be incurred and paid during your covered period okay thank you all right okay so um thank you for those questions it's always good to have them and keep them coming in because we want to make sure this is good quality information for you all right so if you sold your business let's start with that one there's two ways you can sell a business You can sell the assets only and you retain your legal entity name and tax ID number. The other option is you sell the stock ownership of your business or the membership ownership of your business to somebody else and they now own your legal entity name and your tax identification number. Okay, so in the case of a full asset sale, you, are, as a seller, are responsible for the PPP loan forgiveness process if you retained your legal entity name and tax ID number. If you have sold your ownership in your business to someone else, and they now own the legal entity name and tax ID number that you had a PPP loan under, they are responsible for submitting the information to to their lender for the forgiveness uh, process. All right. I would hope that you would help them (laughs) make sure they have all the information that they need to get that done, but that's the process there. Um, If you closed your business, then uh, you must still submit a forgiveness application if you want the loan to be forgiven. All right. So even if the business is closed, if you still have a ppp loan outstanding please submit it for forgiveness to have that um, resolved for both your business and your lender there is um, a procedural notice on the sba.gov ppp website for uh, business sale transactions and it's a little bit complex but You, if you're in the process of trying to sell your business and you have an outstanding PPP loan, please work with your lender because they need to make sure that you're following these procedures and they can help you with that process. Um, Sometimes the procedural notices are a little overwhelming, and that's when you can rely on your lender to help you through it. All right. Um, We need to make sure that everybody um is is covered as best we can with these ppp loans and making sure everybody's getting them forgiven is really the key all right um again i need you to just make sure you check with your lenders uh, on their website to see if they have a portal electronic process for submitting your applications for forgiveness or if you can do it manually um, it's generally on their website there are a few institutions that are um, doing it electronically, and they are sending emails out to their customer base to let them know when they are um, allowed to go in and submit their application for forgiveness. So check your emails, make sure you're staying on top of that, because you don't want to miss any opportunities to get in there and get your loan forgiven. All right. The other thing I do want to say is because still at this point, The lender is controlling your forgiveness process. Please, if you're in doubt about any documentation needed or any uh, allowed expenses, please check with your lender for a determination. Again, for right now, on all of the loan amounts, your lender is reviewing that forgiveness application, and they're the ones that are making the determination about the forgiveness amount um, that is being recommended to the SBA. So you want to do everything you can to be in compliance with their needs and um, their their guidance. So just keep that in mind. Next slide, please. All right. So now we're going to actually get in to the, uh, the PPP forgiveness forms. So let's start with the form 3508S. Let's talk about the safe harbors and um, the related information. So what I wanna point out first and foremost is that if you have a $50,000 or less loan, there is no FTE requirement, nor is there a reduction in compensation requirement that you're, you have to meet, okay? So again, for loans that are 50,000 or less, and as you remember from what I showed you uh, on a slide earlier, that's, mm, I think, over 85% of the loans that we did this year are 50000 or less. You do not have to show full-time equivalent status for your employees and comply with any requirements related to that. And you do not have a requirement for complying with maintaining your compensation of your employees, whether it's salary or hourly wage at least 75 percent of their pre-covid wage so again fifty thousand dollars or less if that's your loan amount you have no compliance requirements and you can just submit your application if your loan amount is over fifty thousand and up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars then you do have to certify that you have met the full-time equivalency requirement and you complied with maintaining your compensation of your employees, whether it was salary or hourly wage rate, at at least 75% of pre-COVID levels, right? And um, again, what I just want to say with that is if you feel like you have um, issues with either one of those requirements, then you will need to use the 3508 form as a worksheet. Okay, Um, the FTE requirement is that the borrower did not reduce the number of employees or the average paid hours between January 1, 2020, and the end of the covered period, or you could not return to the same level of business activity as before February 15, 2020, due to compliance with the guidance or requirements of three federal agencies, one of the three federal agencies, I should say, or our governor's requirements um, as guidance um, was established and again um, some of you may not be in washington um, so it may not be governor inslee it may be uh, a governor of one of our other states but just keep in mind if you had to um, shut down or your business was impacted directly or indirectly as a result of the guidance issued by one of the three federal agencies or your governor, then you have a safe harbor, okay? And you do not have to comply with the full-time equivalency requirement. The other thing um, is that depending on how you look at it, it's either, you know, we don't want you to have reduced the wages by more than 25%. Or in other words, we want you to have paid your employees at least 75% of their pre-COVID wage. So that's the the wage reduction issue that we're looking at here. And the borrower did not reduce wages by more than 25% during the covered period compared to the most recent full quarter before their covered period. So what does all that mean? Well, in plain English, if you got a loan last year, You're comparing your compensation to your employees from first quarter 2020 to the wage or salary that you paid them during your covered period. If you got your loan this year, then you're looking at first quarter 2021 as compared to your covered period for the wages, um, hourly wages or uh, salary compensation. All right. Next. So now we're going to just dig into the form. All right. Here is the, the top of the first page of the 3508 S form. And um, I filled this one out as for example purposes. But you want to put in your business's legal name and the physical address of the business. You want to put in your most recent NAICS code that um, you're using for your business and your trade name. The business tax identification number may be the employer identification number or the social security number, and it could also be an ITIN. Okay. And um, what I want to emphasize with the, the tax ID number is that has to match what your Your original application tax identification number was so if you're uncertain, please contact your lender, because there may be some of you out there that have. a limited liability company or a sub s corporation that used a schedule C on your 1040 tax return to report your business income and expenses, if you use a schedule C. Both your EIN and your Social Security number appear on that document. And it was a little bit random as to what the lenders actually used. So please make sure you check with your lender if you're in that situation. Your business contact information for the primary contact, the business phone and the email address. um, That's, of course, your choice. But I would encourage you to put the contact information of someone who's going to be with the business long term and um, uh, and not necessarily a CPA or an attorney who may exit the, the um, organization uh, for responsibility here uh, before you get through this full forgiveness process. So really focus on having someone in the business that's going to be there long term, be the, the contact information that you include. Just some tips here that I do want to say some of you may have had to move your business and um, your business address may be different than what you had at the time of application so what i want you to make sure is that you also include information that is with the secretary of state or the department of revenue um, as applicable to evidence your actual physical address uh, for your business, if there was a change and include that with your paperwork, the same thing is true for the NAICS code. If you did have a NAICS code change for any reason, please um, go in to the Department of Revenue information and give um, a screen print of the NAICS, NAICS code that is used with your company right now. So the Secretary of State website is www.sos.wa. Gov. Department of Revenue is www.dor.wa.gov, and there's a tremendous amount of information on both of those websites as it relates to helping you fill out this particular section or a table on this um, document. As we go below the table, what you see is the option to select either a first draw application or a second draw. Again you can only choose one or the other as applicable. The reason for that is because each one of these loans has a different SBA PPP loan number and a different lender PPP loan number. If you do not know your your SBA PPP loan number, your lender should have that, or you can contact us at the Seattle District Office and we can look it up for you. I I do have our number in a a slide at the end, so um, I'm not going to give you that right now. Uh, The lender PPP loan number should be on the note payable that you signed when you obtained the loan. You do need to list your PPP loan amount and the loan funding date or disbursement date. For some lenders, that may be the date on the note. For other lenders, it's actually going to be the date you receive the funds. So please check with your lender for compliance there to make sure you're using the proper date especially if it impacts your covered period all right you do need to list the number of employees at the time of loan application and at the time of forgiveness application your covered period needs to range from a minimum of 56 days to a maximum of 168 days okay what um, changed this year is that instead of mandatorily using either one date or the other, you may now select any end date between 56 days to um, 168 days, any date in between. So if you want to have a cover period that's 90 days or 95 days, you can do that. That's within your control. You just need to make sure that you've spent all of your PPP money within that time frame. All right. And the covered period start date is day one of your covered period in terms of the count, and it should match your loan disbursement date um, a couple of lines above. All right. Now um, I do as we drop down below the covered period information, I do want you to see that if um, the borrower together with affiliates either had um, a loan of two million dollars or more or in aggregate with your affiliates, you do need to mark that box and and only mark that box if you have the $2 million or more requirement met, because you don't want to put yourself in an automatic audit situation by marking that accidentally. And then on this form only, what you do need to put in here is the amount spent on payroll costs. And then your requested loan forgiveness amount. Now in this example, I put that all the money went to payroll, but um, it could be different. The one thing I do want to point out here is that if your amount of funds spent on payroll costs is less than 60% of your PPP loan amount, you will not be allowed to have full forgiveness on your PPP loan, all right? How you would calculate your PPP loan forgiveness amount then is by taking the amount you spent on payroll and dividing it by 60%. That is the maximum amount of loan forgiveness you would be allowed, all right? Now, what I want you to see is, again, on the top here, everything above um, uh, from if the borrower where you're marking the, the box if your loan amount is $2 million or above, all the way up to the top. That is identical on all three application forms. I'm only going to go over that piece one time for efficiency purposes, all right? But um, the rest of the documents nat- then change. So let's go down to the next slide, and you'll see the bottom of page one of the 3508S form. You have to initial both of these statements uh, regarding representations and certifications on behalf of the borrower. Again, both of these need to be true and correct and initialed by the authorized representative for the borrower submitting the application. The first one is compliance with the use of the proceeds and uh, calculation of your loan forgiveness amount. You are certifying that that amount is true and correct. The other um, one right below that has to do with the fact that you are truthfully completing the application. Um, and a signature by the authorized representative of the borrower is required. You do need to put, uh, print the name, the date of the application, and the title of the authorized representative. All right. So if your financial institution allows you to do this manually, again, you're going to do it um you know manually if it's electronic then you will be again initialing and signing electronically so that's consistent with all of these forms all right so if your loan amount is one hundred fifty thousand dollars or less this is the document that you can sign complete and send in the only thing that i do want to let you know is that if it's a second draw and um, you did not provide evidence about your reduction in revenue at the time you applied with your lender, you would have to provide that now at the time of forgiveness. So that would be the only other document potentially that you would need to provide. And that would be on the second draw um, applications only. Okay, next slide, please. On all of the application forms, whether they're manual or electronic, there is this section on the demographic data. It is optional, but what I want you to know is the reason we asked for this is it's the only way we can truly document and report back to Congress the demographic data of the owners of the businesses who received PPP funds. So if you look at instruction number three, it gives you the definition of who is a principal. And then when you look down toward the table, you see that we're looking for information on veteran status, gender, race, and ethnicity, okay, for each person who de- it meets the definition of a principle for the organization. So, again, this is optional data. It is for reporting purposes only for the SBA to report back to Congress when they ask about this particular um, section of information. It does not impact your forgiveness whatsoever. Next slide, please. Now we're going to transition into the 3508-EZ form. So if your loan amount is over $150,000, you have to make a determination if you can use this form or if you have to use the 3508 form. All right. So remember that I referred to prior. um, You have this easy form and you have to comply with one or the other of the two statement sets that are here so if you can say that the borrower did not reduce the annual salary or hourly wages of any employee by more than 25 percent during the covered period compared to the most recent full quarter before the covered period you can mark that box and it's a yes but you also have to be able to say that the borrower did not reduce the number of employees or the average paid hours of employees between January 1 2020 and the end of your covered period. Okay, here's the thing, as far as the the average paid hours, there are two exceptions on this form that you can ignore reductions for one is if. You had someone self terminate, or you terminated them and you posted their job, but you were unable to hire someone who is similarly qualified for the position. All right, within the time frame noted here, or um, you offered to restore one of your employees' uh, positions and the hours, and they refused, then those employee reductions do not count against you in terms of this compliance item. You do have to document that, though, and have documentation in the event you're audited. Okay, so that's one statement set. If you can say yes to both of those statements, then you mark the first box and you can use this form. However, if you can't, then you drop down to the second two statements. And the first one again has to do with the annual salary or hourly wage compliance. But the second one has to do with the fact that the borrower was unable to operate during the covered period at the same level of business activity as before February 15th, 2020, due to compliance with the requirements established or guidance issued, specifically between March 1st, 2020 and December 31st, 2020, or uh, for a ppp loan that was made after 12 27 2020 requirements established, or guidance issued between march 1st 2020 and the last day of your covered period that guidance would be issued by the secretary of health and human services the director of the centers for disease control and prevention or osha And what's not stated here, but as I said earlier, if you have guidance or requirements issued by your governor that impacted your business, again, all of this is directly or indirectly, and it impacted your business in terms of same level of business activity, then you can comply with this item. And again, if you answered yes to both of those statements, You can mark box number two and use this form. Next slide, please. So what does the form look like? Well, again, as I indicated, it has the same information at the top as the 3508 S form. Next slide, please. All of that is the same thing I told you before. However, your application process for the dollar amounts um, on your use of proceeds is now changing. So what's listed here is. First and foremost, your payroll costs on line one. You put your employees' and employer employers' payroll costs as designated as being eligible on line one. Again, payroll costs for line one include everything that is eligible. All the cash compensation methods, um, the state and local taxes, the employer-paid retirement funds, the employer-paid group health insurances and all of that that is all on line one and then line two is the business mortgage interest expense payments that really is a little bit of a misnomer but what it is is if you had a secured business loan on um, in place on or before february 15 2020 and you are required to make payments which included interest and you paid them, not the SBA, but you paid them out of pocket, that interest expense is includable on line two. Line three is rent or lease payments. So that includes your facility lease payments during your covered period, and it also includes um, your equipment lease payments, all right? And those lease agreements needed to be in place on or before February fifteenth, 2020. And um, I'm going to say there is, as of what I heard today, some allowance. If you had to change your location as a result of all of this COVID stuff, um, those lease payments may be allowed as well. Okay. Um, Line four is utility payments. There are very specific utility payments that are allowed for inclusion. Garbage and sewer are not among them. So it's water, telephone, um, your um, transportation costs, which are actually defined as the fuel expense for your business vehicles. Um, Your internet um, fees monthly are includable in there as well. So please take a look at the definition of utilities and only include those that are allowed there. And that, again, is utility payments that were billed and paid during your covered period. Line five is this new thing called your covered operations expenditures. And remember, that's the monthly fee that you would pay to a service that's helping you manage your day-to-day operations, whether that's related to accounting or human resource management or inventory control. So it's that monthly fee, all right? Line six, again, I pointed out the property damage costs. If you were in an area where there was civil unrest and your property was damaged and you had to um, improve it, you know, get restore it. It's your out of pocket cost to do that only, not the insurance or other sources. Line seven is your um, supplier covered supplier costs. If you had um, a supplier agreement that was in place on or before February 15th, 2020, and then COVID hit and you you couldn't make the payment um you could use the uh the ppp proceeds to honor those obligations okay um line eight is uh again a new one this one is a covered worker protection expenditures so that includes not only the personal protection equipment for your employees but if you had to put up barriers or any kind make any kind of modifications to their work environment to get them back in safely working With COVID going on, those those expenditures are includable here. So now what you do to determine your potential forgiveness amounts is on line nine, you're adding up all of the expenses that you paid compliant with lines one through eight. That's one total. Line 10 is your PPP loan amount. Line 11 is 60% of line one, 60% of your, I'm sorry. Yes, 60% of your expenditures for payroll costs. So, this is really a confusing one. And what it's really designed to do is to let the lender or reviewer know that if you did not spend at least 60% of your proceeds from the PPP loan on payroll, you cannot have full forgiveness of your PPP loan. So, the way you would determine your maximum allowed amount is by taking line one, your payroll costs and dividing it by 60%. That will then give you your maximum allowed amount for forgiveness under this loan. So then you drop down to line 12 and you take the smallest of lines nine, 10 or 11. And that is your forgiveness amount you're requesting. Next slide, please. Do we have any questions out there? (laughs) I'm not seeing any in the Q&A. Not
0: not just yet, no. Okay, all right. I have one for you at the end, just to make sure.
1: Okay. Um, Now, when you go to page two of this application, um, what you see is all of your representations and certifications. Again, you're initialing every single line as being true and correct, all right? next slide please at the bottom of this page two i want to point out that the last two um, certifications you only have to initial one why is that because you are initialing the statement set that you said qualified you to do this form all right so you only have to initial one or the other whichever statement set you use for eligibility or to qualify to use this form that's the only one you have to initial all right the other thing i do want to point out is there is a page three here but that all that is is your signature block with your print your name the date of the application and the title of the authorized signer okay as we get into form 3508. It is the long form, it is going to take you the most time to go through, and I really would say only use this one if you have to. Um, so uh, if you don't meet the easy criteria, then you have to use this one if your loan amount is more than $150,000. There are a couple of safe harbors here, and one is if you've had no reduction in the employees or the average paid hours. Um, again. Uh, This covers the things that we talked about before, Um, if you did have a reduction in your um, full time equivalents, you can go to safe harbor number one. And what that is, is again this statement about you're unable to operate between February 15 2020 and the end of your covered period, due to the compliance with the federal agencies or your governor's requirements. Uh, for operation under covid Um, okay so if you could not maintain your fte as a result of complying with the requirements at the federal or state level and again that's an in directly or indirectly and it impacted you and you had to reduce your staff you're okay you have a safe harbor there Um, The other option is that you could have fluctuations during your covered period in your FTE but if you restored your employee number last year on a first draw PPP loan in 2020, you restored your employee number by 1231 2020 to what you had at the beginning of the year, you have a safe harbor there Um, for this year again if you had fluctuations this year but you got back your fte back to the number you started the year with um, uh, then you're compliant there and you can use safe harbor number one and i'll show you how that impacts you as we go through these forms Um, however if you did have a fluctuation in your fte and it was not a result of compliance you just you, um, WITH the, THE GOVERNOR'S GUIDANCE OR THE FEDERAL AGENCY'S GUIDANCE, AND YOU REDUCE YOUR STAFF, THEN YOU'RE GOING TO HAVE TO DO A LITTLE BIT MORE WORK, AND WE'RE GOING TO SHOW YOU HOW TO DO THAT NEXT. SO NEXT SLIDE, PLEASE. YOU HAVE TO START WITH PAGE 5 OF THE 3508 INSTRUCTION FORM, AND YOU GO THROUGH STEPS 1, 2, AND 3 ON PAGES 5 AND 6 OF THIS DOCUMENT. WHAT I REALLY WANT TO HAVE YOU understand is make sure that you're looking at the information correctly and looking at the reference points in each one of these steps okay so step one addresses your average annual salary or hourly wage during the covered period and then you have to put in in step 1b the average annual salary or hourly wage during the most recent full quarter before your covered period. Again, what is that? If you got a loan last year, that's first quarter 2020. If you got a loan, first draw or second draw loan this year, or maybe both, it's first quarter 2021. All right. So be very careful about what information you're putting in here to help minimize your, um, the impact of these reductions on your forgiveness amount. Then you go to step two. There's references for the date of February 15th and then the period of February 15th through April 26th, 2020. So, again, just look at the information that's being requested to make sure you're complying and truly answering the question so that you're not punishing yourself and reducing your your, um, forgiveness amount arbitrarily or inaccurately. All right. Step three. Um, again starts here 3a and next slide please goes on to page six of the instructions so when you get down to 3e and there's evidence that there was a reduction a dollar amount reduction in the compensation that is the dollar amount that you have to enter in column three or for um the schedule a table one worksheet we're going to look at that next okay so um, let's let's move on to um, the next slide thank you so after you have filled out all the information as needed on pages five and six only for those employees who are impacted by salary or hourly wage reductions then you go to table one of the PPP Schedule A Worksheet. And what you're doing here is you're listing all the employee names, the last four digits of their tax identification number, their cash compensation, their average FTE, and if they did have a calculated salary or hourly wage reduction, you would put that information here in the last column. Then what you do is you add up all of your employees' cash compensation The um, average FTEs and the total salary or hourly wage reduction calculations that you made. You now have will now have totals in box one, two and three of table one. What I want to emphasize is table one is for only those employees who um, receive compensation from the borrower at an annualized rate of less than or equal to one hundred thousand dollars for all pay periods in 2020. 19, or were not employed by the borrower at any point in 2019. All right. Table two, as you drop down, is for all of the employees who were compensated at more more than $100,000 in 2019. So you put the employee's name, their last word is their Social Security number, their cash compensation, and then their average FTE. You total those two columns, and now you have information in box four and five. What's the operative word here? These tables one and two are only for employees. They are not for the owners. Okay? (laughs) Excuse me. So just the employees. Um, Next slide, please. At the bottom of this page, you now have to go through and do your FTE reduction calculation for safe harbor number two. Okay so here's what i want you to keep in mind again you only have to do this section if you actually had a reduction in your fte and you didn't were not able to comply with the safe harbor related to the requirements or guidance by the federal agencies or the governor and You were not able to reestablish your FTE at the end of your covered period or December 31st, 2020, if your loan was last year to um, your your um, prior period FTE. All right. So I know this is a little confusing. So, again, what I'm going to say is if you actually reduced your FTE. Because you chose to, rather than because you were trying to comply with the federal or state guidance and you could not restore your FTE to your pre-COVID FTE numbers by the end of your covered period, then you have to complete this section. And this section will result in a calculation that you'll do later on these forms that will also reduce your forgiveness amount potentially, all right? So you go through steps one through five and you just do the math, all right? But again, I want to say pay close attention to the dates that are referenced here because I don't want you to punish yourself arbitrarily by not complying with the date requirements in here for the information, all right? Next slide, please. Um, Schedule A is uh, one piece of this application that does need to be submitted to your lender. So on line one, you are transferring the information that you totaled in box one from the Schedule A worksheet table one. Line two is a transfer of the information in box two, and line three is a transfer of the information in box three all from schedule, um, schedule A, Table 1. And then you drop down to Lines 4 and 5. They are transfer information from the worksheet for Box 4 and Box 5, all right? Now, Line 6 is you're totaling the amount here that was the employer contribution for the employee group insurances. Line 7 is the employer contribution for the employee retirement plans. Line eight is the employer contribution for the state and local taxes assessed on the employee compensation. So lines one through eight have to deal with the compensation only for the employees. When you drop down to line nine, that's where you Put in your compensation for the owner employees or the self-employed individuals and, and general partners, okay? And if there's more than one owner in the business that was compensated, then you need to do a separate table for them and transfer that information in. So you're creating a manual table that you would attach with this document, all right? But that would only be for the owners if you needed to. And then you're now totaling the year payroll costs. On line 10, you're adding up lines 1, 4, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And keep in mind, line 10 of Schedule A will transfer over to the first page of your application for forgiveness document. Next slide, please. We're almost done. So, how am I doing time wise?
0: Well, we're a little bit over, so if anybody, any of our uh, viewers have to go, remember we are recording this, so we, if you need to come back, you can watch the end of it later.
1: Okay, <laughs> and I cut this down. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so um, now on page three at the bottom of this particular form, you're looking at compliance with the full-time equivalency issue, all right? So here's what I, I want you to hear. Line 13 is where you have to put a number, all right? If you had no reduction in employees or average paid hours, you mark the little box, and then you put a one on line 13. If you were able to to answer yes to the FTE reduction safe harbor number one that I've been talking about, compliance with the guidance or requirements of Health and Human Services, Center for Disease Control Prevention, OSHA, or the governor. You mark that little box and you put a 1 on line 13. However, if you could not comply with either of those, then when you did that um, five-step information on the prior sheet, on line 11, you're going to transfer over the average FTE calculation from that worksheet, and put it on that line and then you're going to take line 12 again by, by adding up lines uh, two and five from that worksheet and putting the number there and then for line 13 what you will do is take line 12 and divide it by line 11 and it will be a number less than one okay and again remember line 13 is transferred over to the first page of the um, application for forgiveness document we'll see that in a minute here next slide please at the top of the form same information i've said before next slide please but at the bottom of page one you are now compiling all of the uses of the proceeds line one again is a transfer number from schedule a line 10 that represents all of the payroll costs for the employees and the owner employees. Line two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, I've gone over already as it relates to that easy form. It's the same compliance issues here. Okay. So um, you're putting in the dollar amounts that you spent on your covered period for these, um, these different types of expenses. Now, when you go into lines nine, 10, and 11, You're entering information in to potentially reduce down. um, Yes, this last form is a 3508 form. Um, On lines 9, 10, 11, you're making uh, potentially adjusting entries to your forgiveness amount. So on line nine, you are transferring over the dollar amount that you calculated in box three of the worksheet that transferred to schedule a line three okay so if you had a reduction in the salary hourly wages you have a dollar amount of that total all right that's going to go on line nine line 10 you're you're adding up lines one through eight above and then you're subtracting the dollar amount you entered on line nine for the wage reduction calculation line 11 you're now taking the FTE reduction quotient that was on schedule a line 13 that that number is either going to be one or less than one all right and then you have to figure out your potential forgiveness amounts so on line 12 you're taking your modified total you are multiplying line 10 above by line 11 and you're putting a dollar amount in there. Line 13 is your PPP loan amount. And line 14 is that um, calculation where you're taking line one, your total payroll costs, and you're dividing it by 60%. And again, you're dividing it, not multiplying. And then you make a amount, about, uh, about ter- determinate, <laughs> determination amount, your forgiveness amount. And that is on line 15. And you're entering in the smallest of lines 12, 13, and 14, okay? So whichever one is smaller on the potential forgiveness amounts is the one you put on line 15. Now, here's what I'm going to just say globally. If if you did have adjustments on line 9 and line 11 that could potentially reduce down your forgiveness amount, Then what I would encourage you to do is try and expand out your covered period. If you started with maybe um, uh, the the 56 days, maybe you want to expand that out to 100 days when you do the math and see if you can still achieve full forgiveness by doing the math functions here. okay? Because the more money you you put in toward payroll costs um, and other allowed expenses then the less the impact is of line nine and line 11 on your forgiveness amount, okay? Next slide, please. So now these are the pages that have the representations and certifications. Again, you have to initial each one of these as being true and correct. Next slide, please. And this is just the bottom of of, um, page two. And again, you're initially there, you're signing, printing your name, and putting the title of the, the um, authorized representative and the date you're submitting the form. Again, this may all be electronic depending on your lender. So where can you go to get additional support? Um, we have, uh, the SBA has outstanding technical assistance providers in SCORE, which is the Senior Corps of Retired Executives. We have women's business centers that provide technical assistance. WE HAVE VETERANS BUSINESS OUTREACH CENTERS um, THAT ALSO PROVIDE TECHNICAL ASSISTANCE TO VETERAN owned BUSINESSES AND OR THEIR SPOUSES WHO HAVE BUSINESSES. AND THEN WE HAVE THE SMALL BUSINESS DEVELOPMENT CENTERS THAT ARE THROUGHOUT um, THE STATE. AND I DO WANT TO GIVE RECOGNITION, um, uh, Steve, STEVE BURKE AND I NORMALLY DO THIS PRESENTATION, STEVE IS PART OF THE WASHINGTON SMALL BUSINESS DEVELOPMENT CENTERS and we created this um, slide deck together. So I wanted to give due credit to him on that. Um, You can also go to the SBA website at sba.gov, and um, our website can be converted to 108 languages outside of English, simply by hitting the translate button in the upper right-hand corner of the the page and selecting from the language um, uh, uh, list to convert it over not all the application documents are converted but all the other information content in the actual pages so um, it's an outstanding tool for those of you who may have english as a second language and want to have a little bit better understanding of the documents um, rather than trying to work from it from english um, we also have technical assistance for non-english speakers at Um, The state of Washington Department of Commerce website, as indicated here, and there is also uh, statewide relief for these resources at uh, smallbizhelpwa.com. Again, they provide technical assistance throughout the state of Washington, and they have additional language uh, resources there as well. Next slide, please.
0: I've got a quick question for you, Janie. Sure. Sure uh the PPP is less than $150,000 sounds like it is best to fill out the 3508 as a template like you said and then do the 3508s
1: um yes only if you feel like you're not going to be able to comply with the FTE requirement or the compensation requirement either one of those then or both then you you do need to use that 3508 as a worksheet, if your loan amount is above fifty thousand and up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars okay thank you all right on um, the city of Seattle, if you happen to be in there uh, in their um, uh, you know their city limits, you can use um, their resources for bilingual support if you um ARE SPEAKING SPANISH, VIETNAMESE, KOREAN, CANTONESE, MANDARIN, AMERIC, OR SOMALI AS YOUR FIRST LANGUAGE, AND THERE'S ALL THE CONTACT INFORMATION THERE. THERE'S INFORMATION ALSO uh, RELATED TO THE PPP PROGRAM ON THE U.S. TREASURY WEBSITE. Uh, WE HAVE PPP FREQUENTLY ASKED QUESTIONS ON THE SBA.GOV WEBSITE. AND THEN WE'VE INCLUDED HERE FOR THE EMPLOYEE RETENTION TAX CREDIT, THE IRS WEBSITE LINK. Again, um, that is an IRS program and I do not have expertise in answering questions related to that one. Next slide, please. We're done. We're at the end of the slide. If you do have any questions, please always feel free to contact us at the Seattle District Office on 206-553-7310. We are not in the office right now. We're all working from home, but we go through that message line several times a day to pull the messages and we try really hard to get back to you the same day so i'm going to turn this back to you and thank you very much for having me here today i really appreciate the opportunity thank
0: you so much janie uh you had a lot of really good information for us here thanks for listening to the washington hospitality industry podcast make sure to visit our website wahospitality.org